Well, later today, we'll be hosting our annual business meeting, which is for all members of King Street Community Church. We would love to have you join us. In fact, it's really important that we have a strong participation from our membership. And again, that meeting is on our Zoom platform at 4 p.m. Uh, this afternoon. And uh, you can check your email inbox, and perhaps it may have gone to uh, your junk folder. But all the details and instructions are, are there for you to uh, find access to that meeting. So again, later this afternoon at 4 p.m. on our Zoom platform, our annual meeting. Well, today we're continuing our series of scripture talks called Kings and Queens, based on the leadership and life of Israel's ancient leaders. And uh, we've considered the, the life lessons from King Saul, King David, Solomon. Last week, we talked about King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. And this morning, we're going to take a look at um, King Josiah, how he was a reformer and a repairer. And um, this series will ultimately culminate on Easter weekend. Uh, as this past week, we started uh, the Lent season, which started on Wednesday with Ash Wednesday, uh, an invitation for us to turn our hearts to God to make more space uh, for the crucified, resurrected Jesus. And uh, it is a season of repentance, which really means just turning away from our sin and our evil inclinations toward God. And, um, and so we will finish on Good Friday with Dr. Peter Newman giving a scripture talk on Jesus, King of Thorns, and on Easter Sunday, Jesus, King of Life. And uh, so as we move through this series, we are reminding ourselves of um, patterns to follow and um, lessons learned on what not to emulate from the kings and queens of Israel's history. Uh, but again, King Jesus, who is over a kingdom and invites all of us to be a part of it, uh, he is our example and model to follow. Uh, there's a passage found in John chapter 18, verse 36, which is serving as our passage to ponder for this, for this series. It goes like this. Jesus said these words, my kingdom is not of this world. It's from a different place. It has a very different orientation. Uh, if it were, Jesus said, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now he says, my kingdom is from another place and it operates so differently than the kingdoms of this world. And as we've been watching the news and uh, hearing the horrific events that are taking place in the Ukraine, uh, we're reminded again today of how we need the kingdom of God to come for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven because the kingdoms of this world are not subject yet to the kingly rule of Jesus. And uh, But there will be a day when again, the kingdom of God will literally uh, again, become the kingdom of this world. And uh, we're looking forward to that day. And so uh, Jesus as king is a king who is known for his mercy, his love, his kindness, his faithfulness, his gentleness, his holiness, and his purity. Uh, contrasted again with some of the kings and queens of Israel's history that were known for both righteousness and wickedness. Um, they were um, noble, corrupt, uh, they struggle with jealousy, anger, impulsivity, insecurity. Uh, they were devoted, but they were compromised. They had wandering hearts. They abused their power. And today we're going to take a look at a young king who um, invited the people of Israel, in fact, advocated strongly for it, for a measure of reform, spiritual reform, to both uh, the temple and temple worship. And... Um, when leaders stand up and are willing to sacrifice themselves, there is something attractive about that kind of leader. And we'll find as we take a look at uh, King Josiah's life that he um, uh, 
experienced a following because he was willing to uh, stand up and stand out. And uh, leaders uh, who are willing to sacrifice, who are willing to pay a price, uh, are incredibly attractive. In fact, the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 3, uh, beginning at verse 3, it says, um, Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Wear them as a necklace, so to speak. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of both God and man. And so regardless of our political convictions today, when we see a leader who leads with integrity, when they are um, incredibly committed to serving the welfare of the people they're leading, uh, when they are um, truly invested and willing to sacrifice for the greater good, uh, we, we find those kinds of leaders inspiring. And we've been watching the president of Ukraine, uh, President Zelensky, um, who just three years ago was involved in a whole different way of uh, approaching his vocational calling, which was in the uh, realm of uh, being a stand-up comic or doing sitcoms. And, uh, and now he's the president of Ukraine. And uh, he said something this week that I thought was really inspiring. He says, you don't, need to you don't need experience to be a president. You just need to be a decent human being. I think there's a lot of truth in that. And it really reflects the proverb I just mentioned about love and faithfulness. Let them never leave you. Wear them as a necklace. Kind of inscribe them on your soul. And um, love and faithfulness, experience matters, but not as much as just being a decent human being. And I thought that was so good. Well, Josiah in the Older Testament, one of Israel's kings, did not have a lot of experience. In fact, he came to the throne, hard for us to get our head around. He came to the throne at eight years of age. And uh, he ruled Israel, Israel for many years. And uh, he was the son of a king by the name of Ammon. And uh, his uh, grandfather's name was Manasseh. And um, they were... Um, they were on a different track than Josiah chose for himself. So we're going to take a look at some life lessons from King Josiah. And um, three thoughts for us this morning. The first one goes like this. We don't have to repeat the sins of previous generations. When we consider King Josiah, who started at a very young age, he would have been a person of, of um, you know, easily influenced. Uh, and, and yet, as we kind of track through the chronology of his life, we'll find that early on, by the time he becomes about 16 years of age, his heart is inclined toward the things of God. And by the time he reaches 20 years of age, he is advocating for reform and he is calling the people of Israel to uh, worship the one true God in a manner that would please the Lord. And uh, he differentiated himself from his father and his grandfather. So um, we don't have to repeat the sins of previous generations. That's good news for us. Um, I'm not sure what kind of family of origin you were born into, where you were raised, what that looked like from family values to the way you approached uh, discovering meaning and purpose with your life. But we don't have to follow in our parents or our family's footsteps because Josiah chose to go another way. So we'll go back a little bit. Just take a look at Manasseh, who was Josiah's grandfather. He was his corrupt grandfather and led Judah into evil practices. This is what's said about King Manasseh, 2 Kings chapter 21, verse 6. He says, the king, which is Manasseh, sacrificed his own son in the fire. Try to get your head around that for a minute. He sacrificed his own son in the fire. He practiced divination, sought omens, and consulted mediums and spirits. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, arousing his anger. This is what is described about Josiah's grandfather. He was a corrupt and evil leader and person to the point where he would literally sacrifice or offer up his own son's life in the realm of pagan or idol worship. 
Um, Amon, who was Josiah's dad, um, wasn't much better. In fact, the text says he followed the example of his father. It says, Amon was 22 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem for two years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, as his father Manasseh had done. He followed completely the ways of his father, worshiping the idols his father had worshipped and bowing down to them. He forsook the Lord, the God of his ancestors, and did not walk in obedience to him. 2 Kings chapter 21. Um, both Josiah's grandfather and father walked in a way that was displeasing to the Lord, but Josiah took a different path. Um, not, not everyone is prepared to take a different path because differentiating from our family of origin and choosing to go the way, um, the God-approved way that we're invited to walk is not easy. And, and it requires that we do stand up and stand out. And um, to all of those first-generation Christians who have chosen a different path than your family of origin, we just give you a huge shout-out today because that is not easy to do. When your family has been moving in a certain direction, there's momentum in that direction, and you choose to go another way because you've had a, an experience with the Lord Jesus and you found your life's purpose in Him, um, sometimes our families of origin can look at us and, um, and really misunderstand us, reject us, it can be really hard to go against the grain, so to speak. And um, uh, I've watched my own mother put a stake in the ground, and she was a first-generation Christian, and the rest of her family didn't understand her life's devotion and commitment as she consecrated herself to do the Lord's will. And uh, it'll cost you something when we, when we step up uh, in order to stand out and do the things God asks us to do. Uh, the reasons why some people don't make a break from their family of origin can be quite multi-layered and, uh, and it can be really challenging. But two words stand out. There's a dynamic of attachment and autonomy. Uh, when we are really attached to our family, we can kind of get pulled along with them and we desire autonomy and yet there's this tension between feeling attached and wanting to be free and sometimes attachment wins out at the end of the day and it's not always easy. And sometimes we, we people please and it's really hard sometimes to stand alone when we're the first one to go, so to speak. And so uh, this is what's said about Josiah, 2 Kings chapter 22. He says, Josiah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. What a beautiful epitaph uh, over Josiah's life. And he followed completely the ways of his father, David. Very interesting the way the passage uh, outlines Josiah. Now he is not following the ways of Amon or his grandfather Manasseh. He's following uh, David as an example, not turning aside to the right or to the left. What a great passage that is about King Josiah's life. So differentiating and choosing uh, an alternate way requires focus, vision, intentionality, and a lot of energy. And not everyone is prepared to do that kind of work. But King Josiah was, and he's a wonderful example for us today as we consider what it means to maybe go first in our families and uh, to differentiate. And just because our father or grandfather or mother or grandmother or family um, opted for a certain set of values doesn't mean that we have to. Uh, we can choose another noble, God-approved way. Uh, so we are not bound to have to repeat and follow the example of our, of our family. Uh, secondly, living upright requires being familiar with the ways and the word of God. Um, again, King Josiah is acknowledged as an upright person who followed in the ways of his father David is the way it's described, but ultimately he pleased the Lord. Um, living a spiritually formed life just doesn't happen by accident. We don't fall into it. We choose it. And uh, it, it happens with great intentionality. 
um, there, there is this idea, again, in Jewish thought about um, the evil inclination of the human heart. It's called the Yetzer Hara. We would call it the sinful nature in the New Testament. But there's a couple of passages where the uh, Jewish people understand this. Uh, Genesis chapter 6, verse 5 goes like this. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. And then in Genesis 8, 21, two chapters over, uh, the text says, every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. And so this is where they get the concept of Yetzer Hara, is that it's an evil inclination that we have. Again, I say it around King Street Community Church that uh, we're called to go left, but we go right. And um, we, we just have this uh, bent, so to speak, away from a God-approved life. It's our lower nature, our sinful nature. It's the evil inclination of the heart. And, uh, and so living upright requires that we become familiar with the ways and the word of God. Wisdom for the way comes from the word of God and uh, power to overcome the lower nature or the evil inclination comes from the spirit of God. And so we need to have the wisdom that comes from reading scripture to become familiar with the ways of God. And then we need the power of the spirit in order to choose to go against the grain, not now just of our family of origin, but of our lower nature that pulls us and entices us to go in all the wrong directions. Um, the king in ancient Israel had a responsibility to know the Torah or the law. And so uh, I'm not sure if you were aware of this or not, but in Deuteronomy 17, verse 18, every king, every leader in ancient Israel uh, needed to write out their own copy of the scriptures. They didn't have photocopiers and printing presses. They didn't live in a digital age like we do. They didn't have their own copy of the Bible. And so uh, they actually, the kings and queens would have to write out their own copy. So it says in Deuteronomy 17, when he takes the throne, when the king takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll, a copy of this law taken from that of the Levitical priests. So they actually had to painstakingly write out all the commandments, they had to write out all Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They had to write out the law of God. And the reason they were supposed to write it out is they were to be familiar with it. If they were familiar with it, the likelihood of them living according to the ways of God would be higher than if they were acting in ignorance or they were in, unaware of all that God had asked of them. And um, we're actually in this Lent season, 40 days leading up towards Easter. And uh, Ash Wednesday, time of repentance, um, we celebrated this past week. And we have a reading plan for you. We'd love to have you join us. It'll take us right up to Good Friday and Easter Sunday. And uh, you can learn more by checking out your in inbox. And there will be uh, some details in the description box below on our YouTube channel too. But we'd love to have you join us for that. It's important. We maybe don't write out our own copy, but it's really important that we be familiar with the Word of God and the ways of God if we're going to go the way that's God approved. So let's go back to Josiah for just a moment. Um, it's post-exile. Um, the temple required repair because it was not in good working condition. The nation needed reform, and the Torah, the law of God, was nowhere to be found. And so let me read this passage for us from, um, here's, a, here's a description of, of, again, King Josiah. In the 18th year of his reign, King Josiah sent the secretary Shaphan son of Azaliah, the son of Mashalem, that's a mouthful, to the temple of the Lord. This passage is taken from 2 Kings chapter 22, beginning at verse 3. 
And so Josiah sends him to the temple of the Lord, and he said, go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, and have him get ready the money that has been brought into the temple of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have collected from the people. Have them entrust it to the men appointed to supervise the work on the temple because the temple was not in good working condition. And have these men pay the workers who repair the temple of the Lord, the carpenters, the builders, and the masons. Also have them purchase timber and dress stone to repair the temple. But they need not account for the money entrusted to them because they are honest in their dealings. Very interesting um, approach to safeguarding integrity in the Older Testament. There is a high level of trust. And because of the character of these individuals, the king just said, there's no need for an accounting. I know that they'll just do the right thing. Isn't that a wonderful thing to actually live in a way where you have absolute trust in someone else, even around handling money that's not their own? Um, so we find in this text uh, an indication that King Josiah valued the place of worship where the people of God would gather to worship the one true God. And it was not, um, it was not fit as a working condition for sacred worship. And so Josiah was moved upon to repair the temple. And so in his heart, he has this um, predisposition to make things better, especially the things that matter to God. And I love that about King Josiah. Uh, we cross-compare King Josiah with King Solomon, who built a temple for the Lord, but he built a palace for himself that was much more exorbitant than the temple that he had built for the worship of the one true God. And so uh, we'll carry on with the text. Hilkiah, the high priest, as he is carrying out again the king's wishes, he said to Shaphan, the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. He gave it to Shaphan, who read it. Then Shaphan the secretary went to the king and reported to him, your officials have paid out the money that was in the temple of the Lord and have entrusted it to the workers and supervisors at the temple. Then Shaphan the secretary informed the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. And this is important. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. There was something in the reading of the text of the Torah that caused him to be grieved of heart. And he literally tore his garments. It's, it's actually like a symbolic expression of repentance, of sorrow, mourning. And, uh, and this is really what the season of Lent is about. It's about turning our hearts to God. And so this is the beginning moment. We see an outward demonstration of something where a king is moved upon to literally rend his garments. He tore his robes. Then he said, go inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that burns against us because those who have gone before us have not obeyed the words of this book. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written there concerning us. And so King Josiah was cut to the heart because of what he read. He became familiar with the word of God and the ways of God and it impacted him personally. Um, what, I, what I appreciate so much about King Josiah is that he was grieved at the nation's um, disobedience. He was grieved by his own ignorance and disobedience. And so he postures his heart in a manner that is uh, characterized by humility and repentance. And um, this is how God responds. He says here in 2 Chronicles chapter 34, verse 27, because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before God when you heard what he spoke against this place and its people, and because you humbled yourself before me and tore your robes and wept in my presence, I have heard you, declares the Lord. I love this about King Josiah, that God sees his heart and his heart is postured in, in for the most part, many of the right ways. And uh, he held the word of God 
in, in high esteem. And uh, he didn't just see the book as another book among many. He saw uh, the Torah as a revelation of, of God. He saw it as sacred text. Uh, he saw it as not just offering another suggestion or opinion on how to approach life and adding it to the mix of a plurality of other worldviews. He actually saw it as a very important sacred book to be taken seriously. And uh, we do well if we follow the example of King Josiah. His grandfather Manasseh, his father Amon, went another way. But King Josiah decided that he would posture his heart towards the things that were important to God. And then when he had revelation of all that God had for him, and not just him, but for the people of God, he responded in so many favorable ways. It's a beautiful picture. So number three, here's our last thought for today. We are responsible for repair and reform when God directs us. And so I appreciate that King Josiah was already leaning in towards repairing the temple. He had this predisposition toward that. And then as he reads about the text and from the text, he understands more clearly the ways of God. He becomes much more of a um, clear reformer. Uh, there's there's um, two scenarios in scripture I think are very helpful for us as we read our, our final passage today. Uh, Moses, which is a very important story in the Older Testament, is called upon to be the deliverer. In the book of Exodus, Moses is prompted by God to go and, and lead the people of Israel out of slavery, out of the cruel clutches of Pharaoh, into the promised land. And so um, Moses is standing before God and, 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 and he is given this commission and he's feeling overwhelmed and unworthy and he struggles with a speech impediment and, and he brings some excuses before God. But God says to Moses, what's in your hand? And he's holding the staff and he says, throw it down. And when he throws it down, it becomes a serpent and he picks it up again, it becomes a staff. And there was this sense in which God had given Moses what he needed, but when he laid it down, it became so much more powerful. And there are a series of signs that God uses Moses and his brother Aaron to perform before Pharaoh that were instrumental in releasing the people of Israel out of Egypt into, um, again, toward moving toward the promised land. And um, what is in your hand? And then one more story in the New Testament. Jesus feeds uh, thousands of people by taking a young boy's lunch. He had just a small amount of food in his hand, but when he gave it to Jesus, it was multiplied and it fed thousands of people. Um, Josiah had some things in his hands. God had given him influence and power and the capacity to lead. And so he used what was in his hand. And so um, the principle of what's in your hand helps us understand, again, uh, the mindset of King Josiah and the way that God works in the world. He has given us influence, he's given us capacity, and he wants us to always use it for his glory, which is to, again, be consistent with his purposes in the world, and it's always about helping others. And uh, so I love this. This will be our last passage, 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 34, beginning at verse 3. In the eighth year of his reign, again, he becomes king at eight years old, so now he's 16. While he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father, David, not the gods of his father, Amon, or his grandfather, Manasseh, but the God of, the of his father, David. In his 12th year, now he's 20 years of age, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of high places, Asherah poles and idols. Under his direction, the altars of the Baals were torn down. He cut to pieces the incense altars that were above them and smashed the Asherah poles and the idols. These he broke to pieces and scattered over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. He burned the bones of the priests of their, of their altars on their altars, and so he purged Judah and Jerusalem. 
in the towns of Manasseh, Ephraim, and Simeon, as far as Naphtali, and in the ruins around them, he tore down the altars and the Asherah poles and crushed the idols to powder and cut to pieces all the incense altars throughout Israel. Then he went back to Jerusalem. He was a busy man, and he was purging. You hear that word purge in this passage. Um, King Josiah purged Israel of these foreign gods that were polluting the hearts of his people. And uh, what I find interesting here is that when he's 16, the text says that he began to seek the God of his father, David. But then when he's 20, he begins to purge Judah and Jerusalem of all the high places. So there was this progressive aspect of first seeking God. And then out of seeking God, he begins to, um, again, uh, get involved in, in doing good, repairing and reforming. And so uh, deconstruction pre precedes reconstruction. So before the, the people of Israel could reconstruct something more beautiful with their life, some stuff had to come down. And so uh, that's an important principle for us to understand. Sometimes for us to be rebuilt as people, we have to tear some things down. There needs to be some things um, uh, cut down, um, pulled apart and set aside um, so that we can be rebuilt. Um, with the help of the Spirit and the companionship of the Word of God, um, Jesus can rebuild us, reform us. And uh, so that was the case here where, where King Josiah is deconstructing and then he's constructing something much more beautiful. I'll finish with this quote from Desmond Tutu. There comes a point where we need to stop just pulling people out of the river. We need to go upstream and find out why they're falling in. I really, really like that idea. Sometimes we can just be spending our time helping people, dealing with the trouble, the symptoms, the problems, or we can be thinking uh, much broader thoughts to say, what is the systemic influences that are causing people to suffer and struggle? And so King Josiah was like that. He said he realized that there was some soul pollutants and contaminants in people's lives that were taking them in all the wrong direction. And he connected it to idol worship. And he set himself toward dealing with the causal aspects of those things that were hurting the people he was called to faithfully lead and serve. And um, so when an awakening of the word of God and the ways of God comes to us, what happens? We become repairers and reformers as the spirit of God prompts us. So uh, King Josiah wasn't perfect, but he was a good king. He started out young. Uh, don't ever despise the day of small beginnings. God had some really good things in mind, starting with an eight-year-old. And when he became 16, he turned his heart very clearly to devoting himself to pursuing and seeking the one true God. And by the time he was 20, he was on mission, deconstructing in order to construct something beautiful. So I wanna pray for you, and then I'm gonna invite our host pastors to come back. Father, thank you again tonight for, or today for good examples. Uh, again, King Josiah, Lord, he, he got some things right. And uh, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to um, celebrate those things and build them into our own life. And I think today, Lord, of the one who is a uh, first-generation Christian going against the grain of family culture, I pray, God, for them that you would make them strong, give them clear vision. May they know the good pleasure of God over their life and the strong support of the body of Christ. And for the one who's here today, Lord, who's maybe just has a searching heart, has not put their saving faith in Jesus, I pray, Lord, that you would come alongside them too and help them to see that the worship of the one true God is what they were made for. And thank you for the gospel of Jesus, a king with a kingdom that invites every one of us to be a part of it. Thanks be to God for his grace. And during this Lent season, as we head towards Easter, pray, Lord, that the gospel of Jesus would become stronger and stronger, clearer and clearer in our minds and hearts. And may we always live to please the one true God. And we pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.